0: Introducing Mr. Kawada himself, my dad.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, this is Quantum of History. I am your host, Donnie Waldron. welcome, in. today is going to be episode 27. We're going to be talking about how Bond got his PBK. We're going to talk about the assassination attempt on Princess Anne, and we're going to talk a little bit about the IRA, how they smuggled guns, and how James Bond used one of the guns that was infamous for the IRA. We're also going to bring in my good friend caleb daniels from commando bond good dude um and he gives the best answer of all the guests i've ever had for the bond girl question it's well thought out it's hilarious it is it is um for future guests good luck trying to top this one because it is it's 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 my favorite answer i've gotten so far for the uh bond uh so stay tuned for that It's, it's the funniest part and so we're just going to talk about, before I get down to that, I'm going to talk about something that kind of happened the last two weeks, and I'm sure that everyone listening to this podcast has dealt with these kind of things, all right? So the number one thing, again, there's two parts I'm going to talk about. First part is going to be to talk about what it's like when you do things and you hear people you know, talk shit, right? It's, it is a basic function of humanity that people talk shit. I mean, I love being part of this community. I've been so grateful to be part of this community. It has been a blessing. I have met so many fantastic people and it's been really such a great experience. But as with anything, it is a community and it is filled with people, right? So, you know, I've been doing this project on a side project and and look, when you start something new or when you do things, people just innately want to talk shit. That's what they do. And there are people who just talk shit. And even people that you consider friends, like there are people that that I consider friends that still talk shit about me. That's not a big deal. I don't... I understand that that is a part of human condition. I don't. I can still be friends with you knowing that you've said crap about me behind my back. That is fine, all right? It, it, and I don't bother with that. And everybody has had that. Everybody has dealt with that, especially when you start with things or you put something out there, or you put something new. That is going to be a part of it. But what you can't do is let people affect you with that. You can't try to change who you are, or what your vision is based on the fact that people cannot wait to say negative things about things. That's just a part of people. That's a, you have to understand that That is a, it, it takes a lot more people. And I talk about this all the time on the podcast. And it's it's never the people who are above you on the, rung, on the ladder of success. It's the people who are below you that are always trying to pull you down. All right, so you have to be able, if you're going to start something or if you're going to try to do something, you're going to have to be able to take those things. When you allow people to to censor or, or or go on or, or censor whoever it is. And, and if you allow them to censor one person, eventually it's going to be your turn. And it's the same thing with people who talk shit. If you have friends that come to you and they're like, oh, can you believe that guy or believe this? Eventually it's going to be your turn to be that guy. All right. And you have to understand that and accept that as that part of the person. So just put up a wall with them and, and put them as far as, as you're willing to let them in. But you can't let it affect who you are. You can't let it affect what you want to do and you can affect what your vision is cuz when you're going to start and, and people who I respect the most in in you know the successful people they've had to deal with it their entire life but you have to listen you listen to it but you don't internalize it take what you want from it you you can't always block it out but you have a vision and you know who you are right and you can't let these people take your voice you can't let the people who want to be negative or people want to talk shit, you can't let them take your voice because then you just become like everybody else and I'd rather fucking die than sit there and have my voice taken by somebody who who wants to talk crap or people who want to talk negative or people that don't even agree with you. That's fine. But you, I would would rather be fucking dead than have my voice taken or to try to change what I am or who I am or what I believe or what I go through. So that's the first part. So whatever you want to do and, and whatever you embark on in life, If you want to change careers, if you want to start a new business, if you want to start even a podcast, if you want to start whatever it is, you're going to hear it in your everyday. And it's going to be from your friends and it's going to be from people who barely even know you. You can't let it affect you. It doesn't matter. Don't change who you are. Don't change your vision. Don't ever change it because you're going to get it the entire time. The second part of this is, uh, of course, with this, with what I do for this um, podcast, I. I talk about topics that not everyone talks about. Or people, a lot of people don't even want to touch, and I have opinions on them. And uh, when I post on Instagram, where I post on these things, there's dissension, and that's okay. That is okay, okay. And then I've had a, another thing where I, I posted something on IG, and it became a, a thing in the comment section, and um, you know, and I just reached out to the guy. I was like, you know, that was you know these guys, you know, right? And he was like really upset it got to the point where it almost felt like he's like well are we cool like are we friends which i know we had disagreed on something but i like, of course we're friends and the same thing with the project i had we had a disagreement on something of course we're going to be friends i think that is a sad state of affair in 2021 that the, the simple fact of having a disagreement on a subject means that we can't be friends of course that means we could be friends. What are you talking about? I think that that's a... It's such a foreign concept to me because when I have a... Maybe because of where I've been working, but there have been times in my work where I've had a disagreement or I've been in a yelling match with my coworkers. I've thrown them against a fucking wall, right? And then we have our disagreement and then we're boys after. I don't understand the fact that you can get to the point where you just have a simple disagreement about a simple topic and like, oh, are we friends? still friends anymore? What do you mean? That's, that's ludicrous to me and I think that that's a sad state of affair that we are in society. And I kind of made up this analogy in my own head. And it, it kind of, it, the way I visualize it, how it is, is like you have ideas, so you dig a hole, right? And you can either stay in one spot and with social media and what the, and I, I talk about this a lot in this podcast too, was that we're being fed exactly what we want to see over all and over again. And it's just like feds it. So a way I picture it is like, you've got a shovel and you dig and you take the first dig in the same spot. And then you look, you can look to the left or you can look to the right and maybe take something more and maybe dig right there. And then maybe go back into the left and take a dig. And then maybe go back to the right and take a dig. And eventually you have a flat part where we've all kind of dig at it, but there's space for other people to be in your hole with you, right? And you've got a space for other people to do it. The way it isn't today is that you are just taking a shovel and you are digging in the same spot over and over and over again until so it's a tiny hole, but it's deep. And it's only for you. And by the time you're six, 10 feet in, you've been digging the same spot, getting the same content, getting the same things over and over again. And there's no space to go left or right. You're just in the same spot, delping in your own dig hole. And it is a spot just for you. And I think that's a sad state of affairs that we're in is that disagreements or difference of opinions on things means that The end of friendships or it means the end of acquaintances even or the fact that you can't even hang out with somebody or talk to somebody or anything like that that's a sad state of affairs that we're in of course you can have a disagreement with somebody you should you should but god the way it is now and today is that tolerance is conformity and don't let them do that whatever it is when it comes back to talking shit about oh you should be this you should be that you can't turn this down you can do this the fact that somebody loses their mind over the fact that you were hard on somebody who played james bond get get the fuck over yourself you know what i'm saying like that is that is ludicrous to me it's a fictional character we're okay guys but at the same point it goes back to the same thing was and it it's a microcosm of the bigger problem that's going on today is that you have all this thing and, and you have to have your opinion and if you're either right or wrong you're not sharing ideas. You're not your own person. And once you become, once you disagree with somebody's belief, then I can't be, I can't hang out with you. Or if I say that a movie I don't like a movie, that you can't hang out with me because I don't like a movie, or you you're mad at you're mad at my uh, me because of dissenting on a movie. Come on. But that's the, that's a microcosm of the state of affairs we are in, as, as society is that once there's a dissenting opinion, then okay, unfriend hashtag unfriend hashtag unfollow no i mean that's just it's insanity to me it's just insane. so going back to what we always talk about those are the two things like you're going to deal with people who talk shit and you're going to, have to deal with people who have different opinions and you and you can't dismiss people for either that's humanity that's just it's okay it's it's okay it's not a big deal if people talk shit about you or that it's it you have to know who to let in your circle and at the end of the day there's only a a handful of people that should matter in your life anyways and if you're looking and you're doing things and you're looking for that acceptance for mass variety or to get your numbers up or anything like that then you lose who you are and you just become conformity and you just become and and for the sake of tolerance for the sake of making everybody happy you just become boring and uh I just fuck that that's That's, that's my, uh, that's my little preachy thing for that. But those are the two things and I'm sure that everybody who's ever, who listens to this podcast has dealt with the same things in their life, has dealt with those two things. And they're just a microcosm of what it is today, but my God, don't dig in the same hole over again. You know, just take, take a shovel full from the left to right so that you can let other people in because it's a lot harder to be in that hole by yourself. So I'm done preaching. But I think it's just about some things that have happened in this last two, to three weeks. that I think that everyone that listens has gone through and I just wanted to give, I don't know, I just wanted to preach. So, all right, without further ado, let's get into the topics today. Let's go ahead and talk about the, uh, the fun stuff now. All right. All right without further ado, let's talk about how Bond got his PPK.
0: When Ian Fleming was first deciding which firearm
1: his ideal spy would be would be using, he went to the firearm that Fleming himself would use, which is a four eighteen beretta. Again, you're not gonna have this is the nineteen fifties. You're not gonna be able to go back and look at Google and look at the best he went with what he knew, which was a four eighteen beretta, which he himself had used during World War II. Bond stayed with this as his primary firearm until Fleming got a letter from a Bond fan, Jeffrey Boothroyd. Now, Jeffrey Boothroyd was a major in the British Army, and he was a renowned firearms expert. Major Boothroyd became quite enamored with the Fleming's novels, and he really liked the character of James Bond. But the one thing that he thought was that Bond, he, as he read the, the books, there was something that kind of nagged him about the, what Bond used, and that was his choice of gun. Boothroyd felt that a, Bond, a spy like Bond needed a firearm with stopping power. And if you've ever seen A Bread of 418, it's very small. If Fleming read Major Boothroyd's letter, and he was humble enough to heed the advice of Major Boothroyd. Fleming and Boothroyd exchanged correspondence for a while, and they even later in life became friends. Boothroyd suggested that Bond switch to a Smith & Wesson Centennial Airweight. Now, while having some more stopping power, Fleming felt like Bond needed to stay within a semi-automatic, with the Smith & Wesson being a revolver. When Fleming reached out again to Boothroyd for a suggestion for a semi-automatic pistol, Boothroyd suggested the Walther PPK. Fleming concurred. And as he was putting the finishing touches on *From Russia with Love*, he wrote how Bond's beretta was caught in his holster, and Bond was injured as a result. When the novel *Dr. No* begins, Bond is ordered to give up his beretta and switch to the Walther PPK. This n- scene in the novel is almost very well replicated in the movie *Dr. No*, but it doesn't. And in, in the movie *From Russia with Love*, you see the the ending where Rosa Klebb gets him. It, you know, the, obviously the movies and the books don't go in the same order. But that's exactly what happened. That was how Bond was to switch from the Beretta to the uh, Walther PPK. In the film, they referred to the gun as the Walther PPK, but if you actually look in the movie, he was using a Walther PP, not a PPK, but a blunder that was later fixed in the rest of the series. Bond had trouble parting with Beretta, but as the series progressed, every actor holds a Walther PPK at some point in his tenure. And it is when you have a firearm and you've used it for so long and you're so comfortable and so normal and it's like your, your lifeline. It's what you use to protect yourself. It's it's hard to give up. But he did and then eventually he was happy he did it for it. The Walther PPK is one of the most famous handguns in the world. One, because James Bond uses it. Two, because of an incident that happened with a failed kidnapping of a princess. And I know when you think of kidnapping a princess, I can only think about Super Mario Brothers. Like, it's a me, I'm Mario. <laughs> Can I get the kiss? Why wouldn't she give him a kiss? You know? He, he went through all those things. He went through all those castles. All that other stuff. Man. And still get Charlie Bravo'd. Sad. Sad. I wonder who Princess is actually dating. Like on the side. It's like, it's like some rich dude who owns Formula One Racing or something. Some dude with a lot of chest hair. You know? Has a boat. With big burger. I don't know. But either way. Mario deserved a kiss. But again he's like 5'5". Five five. It's tough. It's tough to get princesses at that height. Woo! Make me my so the event that we're talking about happened on March 20th, 1974. The Princess Royal or Princess Anne and her husband attended a charity screening at Pall Mall in London. After the event, they were on their way back to Buckingham Palace when the Princess Ford limousine, as they were driving, the white Ford Escort cut them off, stopped, and the driver exited and approached the princess. Thinking that the incident was nothing more than road rage, Inspector James Beaton first exited the vehicle and approached the man. As Inspector Beaton approached, he quickly noticed the man was approaching, Ian Ball, an unemployed, schizophrenic man, was dual-wielding guns. Beaton was armed at the time with the Walther PPK, which he quickly withdrew, but he was shot in the chest by Ball. Beaton was able to fire one shot off, missing Ball. Beaton went to shoot additional shots, but his Walther PPK had jammed, Inspector Beaton was now wounded and sitting there with a jammed gun, which I'm sure is not a very good feeling. Princess Anne's chauffeur, Alex Calendar, tried to tackle Ball, but he too was shot in the process. Inspector Beaton once again went after Ball, and he was shot two additional times. He later stated that the one thing that was going through his mind is he had just bought a new suit, and he didn't want his suit ruined. He's like, God, now I gotta buy a new suit. It's funny the things that you think about in times of crisis, like in times of craziness. It's not always the things that you would think that go through people's minds. It's, it's like, you know, God damn it, I got a new suit and now I got blood all over it. Ball opened the door of the limo and informed Princess Anne of his plot to kidnap her and hold her for ransom. Princess Anne had a reputation for being a crass lady full of attitude, so in response to Ball, she colorfully said she would not oblige. As the commotion was going forward, a former boxer, Ronnie Russell, stopped and helped. Ball had Princess Anne by the wrist and Russell ran behind and punched Ball in the back of the head. Russell was able to lead Princess Anne away to safety. Ball got up and fled as Russell and Anne escaped. Ultimately, a police officer named Peter Edmonds was able to stop and arrest Ball along with with him and along with other police officer, Michael Hills. Ball was tried and found guilty and was sentenced to detained under Her Majesty's Pledger, which basically means indefinitely. Ball remains in jail today. Everyone involved in the apprehension of Ball were given accommodations. Thankfully, no one was fatally wounded, all recovered from their injuries, And Princess Anne returned to Buckingham Palace. And just a third thing, in in Tomorrow Never Dies, um, which I found, you know, what I love about doing this podcast a lot of times is that when I start a topic and I go down the rabbit hole with it, I I find these things interesting to to just research myself. And Caleb said, you should look at um, the AR-180 or the AR-18, and I was like, okay, well, well, what's that? He's like, oh, well, Pritch Brosnan uses it in Tomorrow Never Dies, and it has a pretty good history with the IRA. And then I research it, and it ended up coming back to this whole smuggling ring with Corsican Mafia that comes back and goes to this guy who was IRA that got into the United States. So, And it just was a great rabbit hole topic. So just I'll give you a brief overview of what it is. So the AR-180 is um, a guy that made the platform for AR-15, which I think is probably the most famous – um military rifle in in you know allied force history between the u.s and in you know way that would use it so he has the patent he runs it he sells it to colt who makes the ar-15 but once he sells it to colt he splits apart from the, his manufacturer and he wants to make something himself so he, he comes up with the ar-18 has some you know modifications to it but it's a very good it's a very good rifle but it doesn't have a home for a manufacturer because colt has um the rights to his old gun so it kind of doesn't have a home he finally gets it made but again it doesn't have a home it doesn't have that big military contract that you need so it's a it's a rifle without a gun with it's a rifle without a home so there's a lot of these floating around but there's there's no real ties to it now what makes that appealing for a government or for a place like the ira is it can be smuggled into them so IRA gets their insurgency. They're trying to fight and get their Northern Ireland. They're trying to get their independence. They're getting their weapons from two places. One, Libya. And then the two is from the United States. But it's not from the actual United States. It's from these gun smugglers that are going from New York using shipping containers that are run by the Corsican mob to get these guns un unhomed into the hands of the IRA. So there's two factions again the libya again who's synonymous with terrorism at that time they're actually changing so the ira are the ones that came up with car bombs they're the ones that come up with the modern terrorism the way that you see the middle East terrorism is because of the trade with the ira from libya the ira goes and trains these libyan forces how to make car bombs how to make all these terrorist things in exchange for weapons and all these other things Then Libya takes it over, brings it over to the Middle East. Then that spreads and everybody teaches them to the Middle East. Then eventually in like the 90s, the Middle East comes over to the Mexican cartels and teaches them how to do it. But it all based in the fact that it started with the IRA. It all started with their, their resistance and their terrorist tactics. So now you've got the start, of, basically the start of terrorism, the start of Middle East terrorism, the start of cartel terrorism, all based on the trade of these these weapons, based on from IRA to Libya. The other part that it was going to again we go back to the Corsican mob that was happening in New York. Eventually the FBI finds out who's doing it, does a, a reverse thing on on the operation, gets them the on tape on tape buying guns and things like that. Goes he gets tried in the 1980s. Goes to a federal court their defense was that not only was that the CIA was telling them to go buy these guns. It was the FBI's operation was unbeknownst that it was a CIA operation in order for the CIA to arm our IRA in their fight. That was their defense. And it's a brilliant defense. Even one point, because that's what the CIA was doing so many times. Now the CIA vehemently denies being any part of that, having anything to do with that. And I almost kind of believe that because I don't see how the CIA or the United States interest in supporting ira helps anything if anything it would hurt their cause they're and they're not with libya libya is a common enemy and the ira with their cause what would that how would that affect the u.s if anything you want to keep ties with with great britain so i don't see how i almost believe the cia in this point because i don't understand how it would be beneficial to back the ira in their in their cause i don't see how it would be benefit but that was a brilliant defense And even one point they, the fbi accused him of um, smuggling so many hundreds of guns. And then their defense was, uh, no, we actually smuggled a lot more than that. we smuggled thousands of guns. So don't shortchange us, (laughs) which which is just a funny tactic to be like, no, we're not, we're not denying at all that we bought guns and smuggled them, but we did it at the behest of the CIA. And then you, you, uh, the FBI just didn't know about it. And even though the FBI and then the prosecutors brought in people from the CIA saying, No, we didn't do this in the event all the all the smugglers, all the IRA smugglers were acquitted because the jury believed that they were working actually under the guy under the help of under the guidance of the CIA. So it was a really interesting story. If you ever get a chance to, to research or just read the articles, there's some really good articles about the trial. So check that out. And again, it ends up in ironically ends up in the Irishman Pierce Brosnan's hands in Tomorrow Never Dies in the beginning scene when he's um, going against the weapons manufacturer and the weapons dealers, he picks up an AR one hundred eighty. Which is again, I don't know if they, the the producers or the or the movie makers meant to be that so on point, but they really did they really did a good job. So there's all sorts of irony in it and it just what goes to one of those things that why i love doing this and why i really have a joy doing this podcast is that that's what it's like is that you can take one little morsel of information from a bond movie which is literally just like bir- pierce bras holding a seemingly innocuous rifle you can take that and delve into it and research it and all of a sudden you've got the history of a corsican mob and a trial and cia fbi libya and the start of terrorism all from just researching one little handgun, one little gun in a bond movie that's why i love doing this so much so I, I i think i've talked enough i think you've heard my voice enough let's go ahead and bring caleb daniels on he's a again he, if you're not following commando bond really good follow but caleb's just a good guy so without further ado welcome in caleb daniels trump commando bond Everybody, I want to welcome in my good friend. You know him as Commando Bond. You know him as Caleb Daniels. He's in all sorts of stuff. What a privilege to have you on today. Welcome in, Caleb Daniels.
0: Hey, Don. Thanks for having me, buddy. I called you Don there. Sorry. Hi, Donnie. Hello. Don, you know, Donnie. You know, those guys you just have to like say all sorts of silly things to because you are too much fun to talk to, man. You are <laughs> an absolute blast.
1: <laughs> I'm a small dose guy. I think that's... Yeah. that's small doses we maybe. haven't got
0: a call like this since like april so i think that makes sense yeah small doses i'm remembering <laughs> from the distant memory it's the rose-colored lenses and all that
1: yeah i mean when we started we were the first person that I actually got to meet we did uh operation solitaire together right yeah that was, that a lot was the fun. first time we started talking team.
0: yeah and uh,
1: then we've been chit-chatting and dming and sending nudes it's ever since so it's been great
0: it's the, it's the DM slide that really just never stops. It, <laughs> <it's, yeah. laughs> I
1: get a little insecure. You should see you should see my secret stash I got at you. It's amazing.
0: Oh, it sounds fantastic. I'm sure you rival my fiance.
1: Speaking of <laughs> speaking of big things, I'm so excited to come in here today and talk about all the uh, the history of the guns and the guns themselves because I know you are just a plethora of knowledge, not only of the, like the nomenclature of the of the guns themselves, but actually the the stories behind them. And you had come out, and I, I'd heard you on Bond, uh, that that whack ass uh, whatever podcast. Uh, you, you maybe want to call it a podcast. Uh, Blood, Blood instruments? Blood. Blood. Is that what you're going go yeah. for? Yeah. Yeah, it's like <laughs> <laughs> like dull knives or something. I don't even know what it's supposed to be. But anyways, <laughs> those guys over there, I heard you on that, and like you just spewing history. I'm like, why did you, why didn't I get you first? Well, uh, so I'm excited to have you on. And, and again, I, when you suggested the topic and and kind of the the, the guns you were suggested. I started researching them and like all oh, I've found so much doing this thing is that I started going down the rabbit hole and so many interesting things. So I'm so excited to talk about all the stuff we, we got in today. So we're gonna start right now with PPK. So I know yeah. that you you gotta start with the big one, right? You gotta start yeah. with the granddaddy of all. And I, and I, I see you rocking the shoulder holster and it's just it's just so handsome. Yeah,
0: it's right there. There
1: you are. Oh, do it again. Slower. It
0: delivers right into Eye the old there. See, it's the he he was correct in um, tomorrow never dies. You see him like grab it and then press it back in when he runs this thing because it it moves around a lot. But that draw, I mean, it, you just go right into it, comes straight out into the hand. Yeah, one more time. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun and I I really love carrying there. I mean, it's a really clean press out for any of your suits and stuff.
1: I I do appreciate it. some things. that I was my biggest pet peeve of always watching like um. Any kind of Hollywood thing is they don't have their finger on touch point, and if you notice, you are always on touch point. I don't even—it's yeah. such a small thing. You think that they like just rehearse? It's such a small thing that you would have. And can you just show what that touch point is? Because I don't have my uh my yeah. blicky on me.
0: So you're talking just kind of doing that nice clean rest on yeah. the slide. Yeah. You're just always there, and I always remind people too. I mean, if you're doing the video side of it, you've got your parallel. With you're the just thumbs. trying to
1: show off the watch right now.
0: <laughs> this is my daily beater. The I love it to that though. But, you know, the idea being is that you're always parallel when you're not shooting. You know, your thumbs are clean and your finger's there, so you point. And that is my, kind of my polite reminder to people to keep the finger off the bloody trigger. Is uh,
1: Yeah, and every time stop. you watch it on Hollywood, they've always got the finger in the trigger. And I'm just yeah. like, you, need, you guys need to stop that.
0: I think that makes sense, right? Like, you have to make fun of those things, like, nuanced pop culture. You get, like, John Wick, and you see him running and gunning, like, super aggressively and clean. And that like gets people like, okay, that's that's the right way to do it. And then mm-hmm. like making fun of it is a good way to touch on. You probably shouldn't be doing that because that's what happens. People respond well to sounding or looking like idiots. So <laughs> you give them the example, you yeah. know, shame is a great motivator on occasion. And am not Absolutely. condoning. Like, <laughs> that's, it sounds harsh, but in that <laughs> sense, it works.
1: Absolutely. So but part of the thing that we were talking about too with, is we, we first started with the PPK. First, I always just kind of assumed that it was just Bond's gun. I, I didn't know the history. And I know when I first started doing this, people, British people were always like, what about the, uh, the assassination attempt? And I didn't even, I had never researched it. So wh- what an interesting story that was. Did you get a chance to really get into that whole story where the PPK supposed, do you think it actually jammed? Or do you think it was just one of those uh, operator error deals?
0: I think it. Probably had a good chance of jamming if it was an older one. So I'm holding that the frame right here. You can see this is the 32 PPK I'm currently rebuilding. It kind of looks like the db 5 and the Spectre there, you know, blown up, <laughs> one piece remaining and all that. I told um, you you bring it
1: back in one piece, not a piece.
0: Yeah, this is quite literally a piece, and I've got it all strewn out across the table here where I'm rebuilding it. But on these older model PPKs, this is a lot of older handguns in general, and you actually see it in current production, like 1911s even still where your, your barrel and then, like, a feed ramp, they're two separate pieces, and there's, like, a lip here in the old PPKs that you can actually feel. And so sometimes they're more prone to feed malfunctions because it has to slide up and then over, kind of like a jutted angle. I always relate it to people, like, those aluminum slides when you were a kid that would, like, mm. grab you on the way down. Yeah, but That's what's happening here. So if you're doing, like, a rapid, not the best primary hand grip sort of thing. I mean, if you, the, the story goes that he was shot and then followed up with a shot, he mm-hmm. probably wasn't holding it great. You know, he th- there was a lot of issues he there. He was
1: probably trying to fling that thing too fast. Right, and he then that critical it, error of the place, frame yeah.
0: itself probably created the issue because you, you, you can't feed them well. So in the new PPKs, you'll notice it's a single piece. It's got a nice, smooth slide, and your higher in 1911s have a single-piece feed ramp attached to the barrel to prevent feed malfunctions, and that was kind of a necessity with the uh, evolution, the bullet technology, you started getting like your hollow points and stuff that are more square-nosed. Once you started getting those square-nosed defensive rounds, that's when those feed malfunctions became incredibly noticeable. It was that round bit that was able to slide up and easy into that that kind of stair-step affair. But when you do that, that square-nosed round is able to feed easier and more consistent.
1: Yeah, especially when you're doing like a combat shooting thing where you got somebody coming at you. I'm sure that his finger was just flying. I'm sure that yeah. didn't set properly. Yeah, the double thing.
0: single, I mean... You know, Tap rack old,
1: feet, son. Tap rack bang. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: a, it, it's it's very catchy. It's very easy to remember. But you know, that's why we say we, you always subvert down to your lowest level of training, and if that's pretty limited. Then that's a problem, which is why we enjoy doing things like dry fire and just building those skills and that muscle memory. You know, I always tell people. Um, you don't want the first time you are learning how to, like, use your e-brake or use your brakes in a bad situation when you start hydroplaning or hit a horrible piece of ice. Mm. Like, you should have a familiarity with your vehicle before that. Yeah, uh, you,
1: you know, don't know. want to lose your virginity to a 10, right? That's, that's exactly a, right. You know, yeah, you you know knock down awesome. a couple of fours or fives first.
0: Yeah, see, I can't say that on a sales floor with a 65-year-old client, but,
1: you know. <laughs> Don't worry, I get I get hate DMs all the time for my message, so I can say it on this.
0: Yeah, that, that's what we call the pearl clutchers. I think that would actually get them to roll over and faint on the middle of the floor.
1: <laughs> Again, what you call a pearl cl- cl- clutcher is not what I call a pearl clutcher, but <laughs> <laughs> anyways. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I loved researching that that topic, and it's just a, a, a boy, what a you got a, the coolest part of being James Bond is that you have the PPK and then you have this, this like iconic part where you, your gun was on the, on the main stage and it failed.
0: So. Yeah. It's a really, really cool and interesting dichotomy part Pardon me. And I think it'd be really neat to talk to someone like from like the British side of things, like your Sean Lurwells and stuff who are like ingrained in like the firearms culture over there due to his, you know, military background and experience. He's a really cool guy to talk to for sure. And kind of like talk to him about the PPK, like, how much of it does it does it actually still have that public icon stature? And, you know, did, did the transition to the P99 really need to happen to, like, get away from it? Like, novels, he transitions to the ASP. He actually uses a, a Browning pistol, an FN, uh, for a hot tick there, and that was pushed down. So it's kind of neat to kind of track that public opinion of it and see well, does it look like Bond's Mr. Bean when he uses a P-99 now because the princess almost died when someone tried to use it to defend her?
1: But yeah, so that was like the iconic one. So we got the PPK. And then the other one you put me on to was the AR-18 AR-180 for the civilian use that you mm-hmm. see in Tomorrow Never Dies. And again, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, well, I'll check it out and see what happens. And by the time I'm done doing Fall in the Rabbit Hole, I've got this whole CIA, IRA, Italian, Corsican, or uh, the French Corsican mob and it's just like such a, I love, that's what I love about doing these topics is that we go down the rabbit hole. So first, let me tell you, just ask, you know, what, did, what got you into the ar one or What did you think about having that as a talking point for today?
0: Yeah, so I love the platform because I think the, the reason why I love talking about it so much is it's that gun from Tomorrow Never Dies that really has kind of that main stage feel to it. And you, you know, you got that shot of him machine gunning from the top. Really, like it's like the '80s took another decade to get to like cinematography in Great Britain because they're shooting like like we're talking like Lethal Weapon style, or you know, you're really I know that that carried on through the '90s, but good lord, like those those sequences, you know, you hear the guys on JBR laugh about it. It really feels like hardcore American action film. Yeah, and it's it's really cool. But they did a lot of things to it, and you can't recognize the gun. You know, they take the whole handrail off, so you see the barrel and the gas piston side by side. So for me, it was always a, well, what is that? And so I started doing some research into it to kind of figure out what it was and learn more about the platform, just because I'm a nerd for those sites with details. And I kind of stumbled onto the path that you did, learning about this really uniquely designed weapon that then had an incredible history of its own, for sure. I mean, she is oh, yeah. a. Thing.
1: I, I, I gotta tell you, Caleb, you pull it out way too quickly. I need you to slowly, slowly do that again. There you go. A little foreplay. play. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start is. here and
0: we'll do the roll. Oh, we'll yeah. do the, uh,
1: Give it the Brosnan. Give it the Brosnan look.
0: You gotta do the Brosnan where he like presses into it and like looks around the corner. Like you, you really go. gotta go all out. That's it. It's That's it's really hard not to with this thing. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 history. I mean, the fact that it was initially. For, for me, the stuff that I loved about it the most, before I even got into like the huge IRA thing that I'm sure we're going to get to sooner than later, because that's some really cool history there, is um, the fact that it came from Eugene Stoner, and it was his actual original design for like what he wanted a battle rifle to be, um, the gas piston operating system. That was the AR, um, I think it was a 16 was the model number that he was running with at the time, and that stands for Armor light Rifle, so... Armalite was the shop that he ran, for those who are unfamiliar. And at the time, you know, it's still a brand that's in-house today. Like it's still producing items. They weren't a production shop. They were kind of a design shop, and then they licensed stuff out. So when they mm. built the AR-15, and then it that was its initial designation, they ended up t- calling it the M16 when they made it the military version and the full-auto transition AR-15 for civilian use, all that jazz. So you get your nomenclature right there. But, um, yeah, I think
1: AR-15 is probably the most iconic as far as American rifles, for it, sure. Like... It
0: really is. It's the one I'm actually looking at right now on my wall. I've got an original guns and ammo magazine of like the first article they had announcing the AR-15 to the world. And there's a note on the top of it before the copy of the article starts that says there might be some you know issues in grammar and writing in this article because it's been edited up to the very moment we published it with all the new information coming out about this gun. And it's just like a center... It's a centerfold. There you go, Don. see, I'm speaking <laughs> your language. It's, it's it's like right in the middle of the magazine. There's oh pictures of rolling across. I've got it framed on the wall right here, and it just...
1: People don't even... Well, first of all, this new generation will never understand what it's like, the excitement that you would actually get from a centerfold. You didn't just have one click away on your phone, and you just have, you know, Shangri-La utopia just at your phone. <laughs> you had to go rifling through some magazines, and when you found it, the Jenny McCarthy christmas edition in the 1990s caleb you don't even know about this one
0: (laughs) i I was born in 97 so i was born six months before tomorrow never dies came out my friend
1: but anyone in their 30s or 40s is going to be like i remember that edition there's the pamela anderson and the jenny mccarthy christmas edition and that's that's the one that changed my life continue with guns and
0: ammo (laughs) (laughs) no i'm so sorry but um so that was that was my uh Based on how you just talked, like centerfold moment, I, I worked with a gunsmith over at Frontier when I was back over there full time. And um some guy gifted him a pile of like 55 gun magazines that were from like 1958 to 65. And he knew I was a massive history nerd. So he just dropped them off with me and he said, Hey, parse through these. You're welcome to keep them. They're all yours. And I'm parsing through and I find all these incredible things. I'm like, Holy crap, this is a first edition print. Like, that's yeah. amazing. And so I, I, I put it in the frame like three seconds later. But but in any case, back to the story of um, like the stoner design and stuff, he had to sell those rights. So because he was a design shop, he sold the rights to the operating system of the AR-15.
1: So it comes out like the na- late 1960s, early 1970s. But they didn't make very many, right? That's the way I'm understanding it as far as the, the many were, not that many were produced.
0: The, yeah, so they produced them, you know, The problem was they did such a good job with the design of the 15 and had just been accepted and redesignated as the M16, and it was being utilized in Vietnam. So there was no chance that the U.S. military, even though that wasn't their primary target, was going to adopt it. And then it was really hard to get it externally adopted as well, because, you know, you have to get that one big contract so everyone loves you. And then it it happens. So it kind of became like a small boho kind of shop gun with a unique system and stuff like that and the other thing that was a problem was because the ar was so new at the time they had to slightly redesign the magazine so it wasn't compatible with the ar-15 mags which now is just bread and butter standard issue every gun on god's green earth uses those mags but back then that was still part of that umbrella of the patent so they Mm -hmm. couldn't do anything with it so there was all these like, well, you got to use the special mag. You got to buy this special gun. So it just didn't take off until the IRA came in.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think that what you're saying, what we're describing is you've got a system where the AR-15 is the one, you've got the military contracts, it's got the Colt making it, it's got all the backing, and you've got to get this really good gun that's inexpensive, that's really good to use, doesn't have a home. It needs to find a home. And at this point, yep. the IRA, in, in the, uh, uh, the Irish Republican Army fully engulfed in war so now it finally has a home almost and you've got this guy um george harrison who yeah. was initially again we not the beetle um it would be real cool if it was a beetle because again i for me the Beatles are the most overrated band in history i don't know what your feelings are but i grew I get... up in the
0: generation of one direction buddy i i i <laughs> I, I pine for the world of the Beatles. so
1: <laughs> <laughs> i came from nirvana and pearl yeah, yeah. that's fair and uh, to hear Yellow Submarine, and then had the same breath talking about the greatest band of all time. I don't see it, I don't understand it, but to each their own. Um, but so IRA right now. But again, we have this conversation all the time in this podcast, is that you need you have a fighting army, but you have to get these guns. Don't come from all, but a few countries, right? I mean, how many countries in the world really produce mass produce firearms?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's 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 not a whole lot that do. I mean, people they always try. Like when it's wartime, everyone ramps up production, and that's why, like in World War II, you have you know M1 Garands that are stamped Sears or stamped like a typewriter company's name, and those are pretty famous for those reasons. But yeah, outside of that, when the world isn't piling around warfare like that, you're not seeing a whole lot of countries produce in mass firearms that are for military use especially most so, of the time it's for the civilian marketplace
1: exactly so that's what i think that's what the breeding ground of why the m1 we're getting reliability quality based on something and didn't have a home so then the ira finds it and it comes in through so the ira needs it and they're getting their arms from two main places right libya and then this guy george harrison who's a guy in uh, new york and from new york it goes to this corsican mob and, and do you find that have you what do you know from working in the gun shop about how um, gun smuggling mainly happens even today, as opposed to what was going on back then.
0: So like today, it's it's a little, it's more similar. So pre-90s America was a lot, you know, the ATF didn't have the, the obnoxious amount of power they have now where they, you know, are breaking down doors and doing things like that. So it was a little easier in terms of that there. Um, but now most of it is pretty similar to what happened with the IRA, pushing it across the borders and um, rough and tumbling with shops things like that i mean we both of my stores there was a rash of gun store robberies in kansas city a couple of years back and they hit about 15 stores thankfully most of the firearms that we had stolen from us were actually reco- recovered in chicago
1: mm-hmm. um, go figure right
0: yeah shocking yeah um, <laughs> what <laughs> so would chicago we, need
1: guns for
0: yeah, right. So, you know, you're talking about mob wars and yeah. where the guns are coming from. They're coming from usually a more peaceful, stable area that isn't expecting it and it's getting cycled over. I wouldn't call New York in the 60s the most peaceful place in the world, but no. yeah, it's it, it's in, in that case it's more of an internal connection knowing somebody and, you know, the AR-180 was definitely the perfect candidate for it. I mean, it had a folding stock, so even with a 16 or 18-inch barrel, you know, being able to eliminate like an extra 10 inches on the rear there is solid in terms of like throwing in a duffel and making it disappear.
1: And isn't that what kind of the, 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 the allure of that is a duffel bag gun. Yeah. I mean, those are and even we see it even in, in my line today, that's just something about having a duffel bag folding stock just is so it's like the, the creme de la creme for gangsters, right? Or for it cremers. really
0: is. And the most important part about it too is it can cycle from that position. Mm-hmm. So like A lot of your AR-15s now will utilize uh, an adapter bit to let it fold on over, but that means you still have to pull, rip, and then fire, which is all fine and dandy, but if you're the IRA and you're sitting with this under a trench coat, you're not going to look to do that. You're going to push up and fire direct from that position. Mm -hmm. and And That's what made it so appealing.
1: Yeah, those splits, I mean, look the IRA was famous for inventing the car bombs and, and all the other things that you then saw trading guns for tradecraft, too. And you saw it right. with the IRA kind of traded over to Libya. Libya then traded over to um, the Mexican cartels. And then it's one big cycle, but all faced from the same thing. They want the guerrilla warfare. They want all these things for these terrorist activities. And as you said, just for the exact talking point you're talking about, it was why the AR-180 was just perfect for what the IRA needed.
0: I to say, I, I really do agree that they were – the kings of guerrilla warfare—they um, gained their notoriety from just that aggressive form of combat, and they—they—they they, they loved the, the AR-180 for that exact reason. I mean, that song that I sent you—it's yeah. kind of crazy, isn't it? There's yeah. an Irish marching ballad called "My Little Armalite," talking about this, mm-hmm. and it—you it, know, people still record it. Like you searched it on Spotify, there's like 15 hits.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean. I, when you have a gun and I, I think that it becomes when you become when it comes your everyday weapon and you're carrying it every day and it's part of your survival almost you do almost have this romantic idea of you can, you, you see it Full metal jacket i guess kind of glorified a little bit this is my rifle this is my gun i sleep with it all that, the prayer to your gun and it really does have a, a effect so you see it in the lowers and i'm sure that as i use the 180 so much um you do, you do you do you do get an emotional attachment to me i still i still miss my m4 a1 carbine i miss yeah. having that every day and now, now i care that just a sidearm pistol it's just not the same i mean i, no, I, like I, it. I
0: understand that entirely i mean you, you come back to bond a bit there you have the the scene in dr no with the beretta perfect no. perfect point i mean it's it, it, yep. it's like you know he he's fully aware that it's a it's limiting in both size and stopping power and everything but it's the familiarity it, it's what he trusts it's what he's utilized and he doesn't want to upgrade and it's funny because then you get into later novels and he has that same level of like appreciation for like the ppk like Mm -hmm. it just feels like he's like well i I just need it like if i'm going to carry something it's that because it's it's what i'm used to
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and you know similar to the ppk the ar-180 has a very distinct profile there so you know, it was really easy for them to memorialize it in their murals and in their conversation. and Flags, you know, too. It's right? all over that... flags. Yeah. Yeah, it's on their flags. Like, there's, there, there's like, painted murals in Northern Ireland with as the silhouette of the AR-18 or 180, because that's a semi-auto version that they utilized. That's the other crazy thing, too, um, when you think about it. They were getting arms smuggled, and they were combat. they, they were fighting a military. I mean, they truly were fighting the British military pretty aggressively, like paramilitary forces and stuff. And all they were using, 90% of the time, were semi-automatic rifles that were just smuggled across. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were fighting tanks and, you know, armored vehicles. And, you know, they, they were staging guerrilla warfare with a semi-automatic firearm. They didn't have the, the benefits of what we have today where, you know, you look at your AR like, oh, you know... um, trigger on this is kind of meh it's a two stage it's got a three and a half then a two and a half pound break the wall's a little tight no they took the bloody thing and they ran with it they're like this is what i'm going to use and oh no they're rolling over the hill in the armored vehicles let me just grab my little armor light we'll be (laughs) like that's such a mentality that you have to get your head around it's just incredible
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely The, the, the fireman's a great story and I, and I think the last one we want to talk about—the last—we're switching gears from the AR-180 to the HK UMP9. Yeah. Now, the, really, the only reason I don't even want to talk about the history—it's just such a sexy gun. Do you want to tell, explain what, where you see it?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, you see it in probably my favorite, like back-to-back Daniel Craig sequence ever. You see it at the very end of Casino, mm-hmm. where he cruises out in that three-piece suit, and he finally gives the line you've been waiting for the whole movie. He does his Bond, James Bond, and they do it from, you know, the Mr. White shot, so it's down low, looking up on him, and you see the silhouette of the firearm against him and that beautiful oceanside view of the gun with the can on it, just resting into the crook of his arm. You know, he's just holding it like this. Casual as can be after kneecapping a dude with it. I mean, it's just...
1: It's such it's a badass. It's such a badass. You
0: get it in Quantum, which is that, you know, that back-to-back, you know, the movies go back-to-back, and, you know it's that fast action car sequence he's pushing between the alpha Romeos, sliding around he's fumbling to get it pulled out of the seatbelt, and then he just rests it over the windshield and drops the guy and the car goes flying off the cliff
1: you know you know how hard it is to even look back at that because i wouldn't even I, you know what, i don't even think i've noticed that yet i saw, saw a gun but i can't even notice because it's editing so fast i'll have to look actually go back and look and see if it's the actual 180 i didn't even notice that you just told me that the first time
0: yeah, that's that's so that's the UMP9. The only difference is it doesn't it. have the suppressor on it. So he ripped the can off. And it's sitting in the passenger seat, and that's what he's fumbling for with the folded stock, and then he just fires it from there.
1: You know, it's so funny. I, I, you, every time you watch that Quantum of Solace thing, you, you see a new thing because I still have no idea. I didn't even realize that he was. That's what he was fumbling for and stuff. It's just so fast, I can never it, get anything. It, it
0: really, really is. I, I love it to death. It's a, It's one of my favorites. Just like to have on in the background because it, it's kind of that fast-paced action sort of movie. It's, uh,
1: that's exactly what I use Quantum Four to. It's always my back it's my background if I'm doing yeah. something else.
0: And it just it just it looks cool. It's kind of like Thunderball in the sense where you glance at it and you're immediately in the world of Bond mm. and you know it took me years. When I was a kid I hated the movie because I never knew who was driving because it flashes so quickly between Bond and then that semi-truck driver yeah. and they just had to pick a dude that looked like his stunt double. <laughs> and they put him in like sunglasses. So like for me, it was like, is that Daniel Craig? And then he's like wearing almost like the Madagascar style shirt. I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, is this like Quantum Leap? Like what's happening? <laughs> why? Why? Are, why? Are we... <laughs> yeah, but
1: exactly.
0: It's it, it's it's a really really cool gun, and it was HK's answer to making a lower cost all polymer um, MP5. They what were do you trying... think about
1: HK as as a brand itself?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, I I love them um they're they're a little cold-blooded like if you if you follow their social media channels or their marketing their following is very um the stop being poor brand and their customer service is awful
1: our sidearm in in uh border patrol is the h and kp p2 p2000 which mm-hmm. um again i compared even with the glog i, I couldn't stand that gun uh, have you ever used it have you used the h and K P p2000 or any kind of incarnation of that
0: i've handled the p2000 a lot they're, they're still in production and still being sold, I've I've handled a ton of them. They're not my favorite. I I kind of put them in like the preteen era for HK. A lot of people love them.
1: It's kind of an interesting story. I, I, you talked about it a little earlier about you have to get that one big contract, and HK got the the uh, DHS contract right. So DHS gets their contract, and then they were going from the Beretta to figuring out where they're going to go. And at the time, it was the Bush administration, and uh, they ended up going with HK. And everyone's like, why HK? And then after Dick Cheney's, um, after Dick Cheney leaves office, he gets a uh, some kind of like co- position with H and K. So <laughs> it's funny how. That's, well, I mean, it's like how, that's how you get contracts is you gotta pay.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, it's like Sig Sauer. Um, you know, they have the new, they're the new handgun for the U.S. Army, the mm-hmm. 320 series. Um, It's the M17 or M18, depending on the model you're specifically talking about for the military. Glock put a new gun up for it. Beretta put another one up. H, I mean, everybody put a gun in. And the one that was free won.
1: Well, last question. Okay. Yes, sir. This is the big one. This is, this is the one. All right.
0: I've been mentally preparing for whatever you're throwing but, at me. I don't know what it is, but, but I, I've been my, like, I think it's not my fiance. And I said, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I don't know what he's going to say. Tony's going to do something.
1: Well. As always, so you get a chance. Any Bond girl, any Bond girl from any movie, any time, but you got to give away all your guns. Which Bond girl? Are you give, give it up?
0: them away? Yep. Well, the girls, it be is, cold, there, is there, is there any Bond girl? I'm to say um, no because my fiance said I can keep them. So there's, you know, <laughs> I, that, that, that's how you go that direction. That was the, the, the fatal flaw. If you're not a fan of that, you can't be with me because there's a lot to work with. But the, um, the cold-blooded response could be Tracy, because, you know, Bond goes to throw it all away, and then she dies, and he's right back in the thick of it. So. Oh, so,
1: hold on. Hold on let, me, let, me get, let me get this right. Your answer to this yeah. question is that I'll pick Tracy, the one that dies, so that when she dies, I can get my guns back? Is th- is this your final answer, Caleb?
0: There's a lot <laughs> invested in this I in can... terms, terms of time, Connie.
1: That is that is a brilliant answer, Caleb. I, I can't I don't even know how you would ever top the brilliant thoughtful. That's that's why you, that's why you're such a genius, Caleb. Not only oh, do you... <laughs> I don't know about that. But, uh, it's it's all. About... <laughs> that's, that's I Rob. love this. An- I love this answer so much, Caleb. I will yeah. pick. I'll pick the Bond girl that yeah. dies so I can oh. get my guns back after I'm done having my fun with Tracy. I gotta tell you, it's a genius move. It's a genius plan. It's a genius answer, and uh, Caleb. Commando Bond, if you're not following IG, Commando Bond. Do you have anything else coming up that you want to plug or anything else you got going on or any kind of side projects you got going
0: No, no. I'm just thinking the most exciting thing I have to plug is the fact that I'm talking to you right now, my man. (laughs) I've got um, on the 14th, which I don't know when you're going to release, but on the 14th of this month, I've been doing this for a year, so thanks for putting up with me is the biggest thing I can say. I
1: love it. I think my year mark is coming in March 13th, I think. I think that's my year. So uh look forward to it we're gonna we're gonna be uh doing this for a lot of years to come man so i'm very excited and thank you for coming on us again we have to do this a bunch more times caleb and as always thank you so much for coming on and i gotta tell you thank you for that answer the wealth thought, <laughs> well thought out. i picked the girl that died so i get my bonds my guns back love this answer uh <laughs> thank you so much for coming on caleb it's been so much fun
0: thanks Lemon. come on donnie i appreciate your time all right buddy Never know when
1: someone coming try to take my life I'll be sleeping with the 45 like every night In the whip I pray to God I don't see flashing lights God damn it right behind me and wake up. Baby. Thank you again, Caleb, for coming on. Again, definitely the best answer. I mean, <laughs> he, he picks the Bond girl that dies so that he can get his guns back. That is That is a heck of an answer, I gotta tell you, sir. Well played. Well played, Caleb. Again, if you're not following him, it is Kate Commando Bond. I'm sure that everybody listened to this knows about him and, and hears it, but great follow. And I just, I just want to end. I know in the beginning I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent about stuff that's not related to history or Bond, but I think that, I think that it's, it's okay. We all have interests besides James Bond. We all have lives outside of that. He is a bit of escapism. And I really love the movies. I love the books. I love all the things that come with being a James Bond fan. I love I love the community. I love all the friends that I've made. But I think that it's okay to once in a while venture off into things. I think for this podcast, I definitely do it because this is I feel like this is a history podcast more than it's a James Bond cast, especially now that I I kind of stopped doing the reviews of the movies, because I find that just listening to me review a movie is that just it's not me. You know, that's Joe, just Joe Darlington. That's Calvin Dyson. Those guys just do it way better than I ever could. And it's it's just you don't want to listen to one person just drone on about it. So this is this is a history. It's a political. It's a it's a you know whatever it is. It's a whole lot of things, but it's not just Bond. And I think that that's and it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to not have to always be Bond. I don't want to have to always just talk James Bond. I love talking about James Bond and these all these topics are inspired by it and i hope that it appreciate you appreciate the movies more uh, having heard the history behind it and not and knowing that it's not just these these topics in these movies do not come out of the air they're not just built by three people just thinking hey what could be cool these actually come from real life events and it's based on real life things that they fictionalize but they come from places and I hope that that brings you a better appreciation for the movies themselves when you go to rewatch them. But it's certainly not just going to talk about Bond, not just going to talk about Bond topics, not going to talk about just Bond style, not just Bond cars, not just Bond guys. So it's it's a I want this to be something that a non-James Bond fan can appreciate and listen to as well. But I want to emphasize enough, thank you everybody that listens. I love all you guys. I love this community. This community has been so good to me in so many ways and i met so many good people and so many good friends so i love everything about it but those are just things that i address but i i just want to address those in the beginning but just because again it's it's a shared life experience i think that when i go through something i'm sure that everyone that listens has gone through those same things because we're all human we have shared human experiences so so again thank you so much as always you know subscribe leave a like leave a comment whether it is just go ahead and leave a comment on either you know apple itunes or anything it does help so thank you so much for tuning in this has been donnie walgen this has been quantum of history signing off and as always stay positive out there guys thank you so much